about a, w- a week and a half ago, uh, Sydney and the boys and I, we'd just gotten back from vacation. We'd had just an amazing vacation where you're just kind of in that like deep soul rest. I don't know if you've ever been on one of those vacations where you forget what day it is. Is it kind of like one of those vacations? We had not looked at a calendar. We had not looked at a to-do list. And so we're in this place of really deep rest. And we, we came back from that vacation and we had kind of a crazy week. We had church planters uh, that were in from all over the place to be trained and poured into. We we're excited about that. We had leaders that we were investing in. It was, a, it was kind of a full week. And I don't know if you've ever had one of these moments where you, you come back from a really restful vacation and all of a sudden just the reality of life is like waiting for you, like a, a freight train. So we, we come back into just kind of the chaos of the week and, and everything's hitting us at once, uh, but God was in the midst of it. But we get to Thursday morning, of, of that week, and I woke up early that morning. I'd spent time with Sydney and the boys and the Word. We'd had breakfast, and then I went downstairs to take a shower, get ready for the day uh, of training leaders. And I, I get out of the shower, and I do that thing you should never do before you get to the office. I looked at my phone, and I started seeing all these text messages that were, were popping up, and all of the messages were like the second half of a really difficult conversation that I did not know I was in. And so here's what I mean by this. You know, I get one text from a friend that says, hey man, just all the news, heartbreaking, so sorry, we're praying for you, you're gonna make it through this. And I'm like, oh man, what's that about? And then another message like, hey, we just heard the news, we're praying, well, I know this is difficult, you're gonna make it, God's in this. And it was message after message after message. I don't know if you've ever been in one of these moments where somebody is consoling you on the bad news you did not know that you had yet to receive. And it was just like, it's a great way to start a day. Like, if, if you just wanna mess with one of your friends, text them tomorrow, hey, I heard what's going on, hang in there, I love you. God is stronger, you know, it's like, they're like, what's going on? And so, um, you know, I've got a flip phone, I couldn't look up the news, I, I didn't know what was going on, so I called one of my buddies that text me, what's going on? He said, well, he said, apparently you've not seen the news, and he referred me to this article that some of you may have seen online from the Tennessee, and it says, Mercy Lounge closing its doors after 20-year run on Nashville's Cannery Row. Now, some of you are reading that for the first time. Some of you are just struck by the article or the advertisement for B.F. Meyers uh, furniture. Great deal, great sale. Uh, maybe, that's some, maybe that's what some of you are thinking. Some of you are like, what's this even mean? Some of you are just here visiting. And it's like, who cares? Who cares? Well, the, the room you're sitting in, spoiler alert, is owned by the Mercy Lounge. And where we meet week in and week out, you know, for the last 13 years. We've had a week-to-week lease on this space. I don't know if you know that. Just talk about the, the goodness of God. Like, did you know that every week we just show up basically with a handshake and trust that God's got us? Did you know that? Isn't that cool? It's a cool adventure. Like, it's a little freebie, a little fun fact for you. And so for 13 years, we, we've been in this great adventure with God, but we, we get this news that the place where we've been meeting all of these years is, has been sold, and so I'll just give you a little bit of uh, backstory. You know, earlier this summer, uh, we knew this building had been sold. So Sam, who's our executive pastor, he and I went over to meet with the new owners. And, and we sat down with them and we, we thought, said, hey, what's going on? And they said, well, changes are probably coming. We don't know what those changes are, but you'll be the first to know. And so 10 days ago, we did become the first to know along with 1.8 million people all at the same time. <laughs> through the newspaper, and it's just one of those mornings, I don't know if you've had one of those, where you go, man, I did not see this coming. Have you ever had one of those moments where you woke up and you got information, and you're like, man, I just didn't see it coming. Maybe, maybe it was the news that the, the test results came back, and it wasn't benign, but it's more serious than you thought. 
And you say, man, I, did, I didn't see this coming. Or, or, or maybe you knew your marriage was struggling, but it wasn't until you sat down in the counselor's office and you heard your spouse say something you never thought they would say, and you went, man, I knew it was rough. It's actually worse than I thought. And maybe you've been in one of those moments you just went, I, I didn't see this coming. You know, sometimes that happens individually. Sometimes that happens communally. I remember being in college and getting the phone call that my mom had stage four cancer. And I thought, man, I didn't see this coming. And I, I'm, just, I'm just gonna tell you this. This isn't me being like dramatic. I'm a little bit older than a lot of you. And, and here's the truth. The only thing that is certain in life other than God himself is that your life will be marked by uncertainty. And there's this, point of decision that we have in the moment of uncertainty, and that is, how are we going to live in the midst of it? And so it's so cool, like we got that news on, on a Thursday morning. Here's the facts. You know, you might be thinking, hey, what does this mean? The truth is we still don't know. We don't know if we get to be here for a few more months, a few more weeks, a few more years. We don't know. But here's what we know. Although we're uncertain about the future, we know the one that holds the future, and if you don't hear me say anything else this morning, I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit would take what I'm actually feeling in the Spirit and put this in each one of your hearts, and that is, you have nothing to worry about. There's nothing to fear. <laughs> because we know God. Are we gonna pray about it? Absolutely. Are we gonna plan for it? Of course. Is it gonna take some strategy? Are there gonna be some challenges? Absolutely. But here's the deal. God is in the midst of all of it. And although this may have caught us by surprise, God was not caught by surprise in any, in any of the stuff that's gone down over the last week. In fact, it's been really cool. We, we've had friends all over the city who are pastors. They started calling. They're like, hey, come use our building. Let's get our churches together. Let, let's do something. Like, let's, and I'm just like, man, just the love of Jesus' church for you guys, for this church has been amazing. Uh, I had a friend who called me earlier this week on Monday and uh, he's a pastor down in Franklin, just an amazing guy. And he's one of those friends that he loves me so much, he'll worry for me. Do any of you have those friends? Maybe it's your parents, you know, your parents will call you and they're worried for you. Your mom's like, when are you ever gonna go on a date? You know, and it's like, you have people that are worried for you. And he's like one of those friends and, and he called me and he's like, what are you doing? What's the plan? What's the strategy? I'm like, bro, I don't know. I don't know what I'm eating for dinner tonight. Like, you know, like I certainly don't know the future. And there's this moment where he started to kind of in love as my friend kind of rebuked me. He's like, Dave, you've got to get on this. This is a really big deal. And have you ever noticed we live in a culture where worry so often is mistaken for responsibility? We live in a world where worry is mistaken for responsibility. So in other words, you and I are prone to feel like we're being responsible the more we're worried about something. The more you worry about that big test, the more you worry about your job, the more you worry about the future, the more you, you're like, I'm being responsible here. But in a world where worry is synonymous for responsibility, then the peace of God becomes synonymous for apathy. And so people will look at you when you're walking in the peace of God and they're going, man, you look apathetic, you look irresponsible. But I'm just telling you guys, God is inviting us into an unbelievable adventure and I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I'm just telling you, it's gonna be great because God's in it. And maybe this is a word that some of you need personally this morning. Maybe this is a word we need communally, but I believe God's inviting us into a posture of doing life with him that is more dependent, more trusting than we could have ever imagined. And the reason we can face these things without worry is because we know who God is. 
I love this picture in Exodus chapter 34. We've, we've been talking about these two verses over the last three or four weeks together. And if you're with us on week one, Aaron quoted one of my favorite authors and theologians, A.W. Tozer. He said, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think of God. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think of God. And maybe you're going, no, that doesn't really make sense. And I'm just telling you, it is so true because if you, in your heart, believe that God is a close, loving, powerful, active, attentive, engaged Father that wants your best, knows your best, is working towards your best, if that's your understanding of God, when life hits the reality of uncertainty, you're fundamentally different. But if your view of God is he is that distant Father that writes on the holidays, or he's angry, or he's frustrated, or he's distant, or he's unengaged, I'm just telling you, what happens in you when life gets uncertain will be revealed. What you think of when you think of God is so important, and most of us discover what we actually think of God, not when life is going as we planned, but when life begins to fall apart. And I love this, Exodus chapter 34, look at verse six and seven with me. If you haven't memorized these verses, man, memorize these before we're done with this series. I love this. It says, God passed before Moses and he proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh. I love this. Only God can do this and not be weird. God walks onto the scene and he declares his name out loud twice. I mean, can you imagine me walking into this room and I'm like, Dave Clayton, Dave Clayton. Like, if anybody walked in the room and declared their name in the third person, you're like, I'm not gonna be friends with that guy. Like, that's the, that's the weirdest person I know. If I ever start announcing my presence in the third person, you have my permission to just ignore me and abandon me immediately. But listen, hey, God's not like you. He's not like you. He's better in every way. He walks in, he goes, he goes Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord. And then he begins to describe the character of who he is. In the last couple of weeks, we've been camped out in that declaration, his eternal nature, his all-powerful nature, his eternal nature. But look at this in verse six, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in what? Somebody shout it out, abounding in? Come on, this is the 11. Abounding in? Abounding in love and abounding in? Faithfulness. Abounding in love and abounding in faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. I know that last part's tricky. We'll get to that in a few weeks. But look back at verse six with me. I want you to hone in on this one phrase. He is the eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful God who is abounding in love and faithfulness. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. Why are we not worried about the uncertainty that's facing our church community? Why should you not worry about the uncertainty that's facing you in your own life? Like, why can we live free of worry? It's because we know this God who is abounding in love and faithfulness. And just real quickly, I just wanna give you just kind of a few kind of insights into what God is saying about himself here. This, this word abounding, I don't know if you underline in your Bibles, you should underline that word, highlight that word abounding. It literally just means infinite, never ceasing, unending, inexhaustible. God walks into the room and in the presence of Moses, he says, here's what you need to know about me is, is my character, my nature. It is inexhaustible, it is unlimited, it is never ceasing, it is never running out. This is the way that my, my three young boys think of Jeff Bezo, Be Bezos and his money. They're, I don't know why, they're just like really fascinated right now with how rich is the richest man on earth. And so 
they're always asking questions. We'll be driving down the road and they'll, they'll see a Tesla, which they think is the coolest car right now, and they're like, how many Teslas could Jeff Bezos get? Do you think he could buy one a minute for the rest of his life and never run out of money? I'm like, oh, maybe, I don't know, I'm terrible at math, maybe. <laughs> or they'll be in our house, they'll be sitting around, we're just eating dinner, and they're like, how many of our houses could he buy? I'm like, a whole lot. Like, he, he could buy a lot of these houses, you know? Or a few weeks ago, we were at a, a Titans game. Somebody after the 9 a.m. gave us free tickets, which if you ever wanna show your love for us, we would receive that love uh, in the form of free Titans tickets, but they gave us free tickets. And we're sitting there in the stadium, and I kid you not, one of my sons looks over at me about halfway through the game, and he goes, man, I bet you Jeff Bezos could buy a stadium like this every single day for the next 100 years and never run out of money. And I'm like, maybe, I don't know. But what, what, what they're wrestling with, what they're wrestling with is, at least from their perspective, what it would be like to be inexhaustible, unlimited in your resource. And for whatever, to whatever degree that's true of the richest man in the world, it is infinitely more true of God. You know this? There's never a moment where he gets low on any of his attributes towards humanity. He's never like, man, I dished out a lot of love in 2020. I'm gonna take it easy in 2021. He's never like, I've gotta recharge the battery. I'm running out of my care. It's just not who he is. He says, I'm abounding. He says, I'm, I'm abundant. But he keeps going, in, in what? Somebody shout it out. I'm abounding in, come on, help me out. He's abounding in, in love. And guys, this isn't like teenage romance, although that's wonderful. <laughs> This isn't just that like emotive love, like, oh man, I feel something wonderful to you. This is the type of love in the original language. It is, it is this love of fierce, unrelenting, unending commitment towards someone for their own good, even when they don't deserve it. I think about years ago, one of our good friends, they got married, came back from the honeymoon a few weeks after the honeymoon. The husband was in a tragic accident, left him in a hospital bed for six months, and all of a sudden, his wife is having to do things for her new husband that she never imagined. It's like honeymoon is over. She's changing his bedpan, she's changing uh, his gauze, all of these things that I won't go into any details. It was not something that she was driven to by romance or desire or emotion or feeling. Like she never walked into his hospital room with the soft music of Grey's Anatomy in the background and went, man, I feel like loving you this way. I remember sitting with my friend in the midst of that. He said, any dignity that I had left has gone out the window. He says, but what I'm experiencing is love. Her unending goodness and kindness to me when I can't do anything about it, when I don't deserve it. This is the way God describes himself. He says, I'm, I'm never ceasing, I'm abundant, I'm inexhaustible. And that kind of love, that kind of affection, that kind of commitment towards the human race. And he keeps going one more in faithfulness. Faithfulness. This word faithful, it literally means to keep doing the right thing when no one's watching. To keep doing the right thing even when nobody can hold you accountable. It's, it's not just that you keep the promise when someone reminds you of it, but it's you keep the promise before they remember it, before they deserve it, before they act on it, you're keeping the promise. That's the way that God describes himself. He says, I am never ceasing in both my love and in my faithfulness. I just keep doing the right thing towards humanity even when they don't appreciate it or see it. Remember years ago when we started Ethos, we were held together by like duct tape and a prayer. Every week, it's like, can we do this again? And, and just like we do, did this morning, you know, people would get here and they'd set up for church. But at that time, we didn't have an army of volunteers. We had three or four people that were led by one volunteer, a guy named Ty. 
Ty served on the team for 10 years, just an amazing guy. And when I think of a picture of faithfulness, I think of Ty. One night, Ty had showed up at church and he said, man, who's setting all these chairs up? And I said, well, me and a couple of guys. He said, I'm gonna take that from now on. I'm like, thank you, you're amazing. And so he started showing up and he'd get the room set up and a couple of months into that, one night he comes up and he says, hey Dave, can, can I get a key to the cannery so I can get in for setup each week? I'm like, you've been doing this for months. I'm like, how have you been getting, getting in? And he goes, well, he goes, I'll find a way. <laughs> and I'm like, that sounds shady, but, but, but I like it. <laughs> like, uh, I, I like the way you roll. And he's like, he's like, I'll find a way. And he's like, but it'd be a lot easier if I just had a key, <laughs> you know, if I could get in. And here's what I loved is at every moment, he never allowed any obstacle or any inconvenience to keep him from keeping the word that he'd said. He said, I told you that I'd be in the first in, I'd be the last out, that I'd have the place ready to go. I love the way that the Lord speaks. He says, here's who I am. He says, I am abounding in love and I am abounding in faithfulness. This is who I am. And listen, guys, when you understand this is who God is, when you really understand this is who God is, it will fundamentally reorder everything about your life. And it's different just knowing this, like the Sunday school answer. God is faithful, check the box. God is loving, check the box. God is abundant in these things, check the box. Guys, that level of theology on Sunday morning very rarely will set you free on Monday morning when life begins to fall apart. I'm not asking if you know those truths about God, I'm asking you if you know that God who is abundantly true in those ways. It's one thing to know the truth about God. It is different to know the God of that truth. Does that make sense? And what I found is, man, so many of us, we live with the truth of Jesus in our minds, but that truth never gets all the way down to our heart and it never manifests into the context of our life. And so we come in and we sing and we celebrate and we thank God for who he is and then we go into Monday with the same amount of worry, fear, frustration, anxiety that the rest of the world carries day to day. And God's like, man, I've got so much more for you than that. I think about this with my kids. My boys know that I love them. They know that I'm faithful to them. That's a head truth, and sometimes it's a heart truth, but the gap between those two things is exposed every time my wife goes out of town and I get to care for them on my own. And so Sydney's out of town you know, a few months ago, and I'm I'm in my boy's room and I'm tucking them in at night and I'm praying over them and I'm sure the prayers are awesome. You know, I'm just praying these deep prayers over them and just loving on them. And one of my sons, he goes, hey dad, hey, remember tomorrow you've got to make us lunch. I'm like, who do you think I am? Like, of course I'm gonna make you lunch. Like, that, that just comes with the territory. And then a few moments go by and he chimes back in. He said, have you made yourself a note to make us lunch? I'm like, he's been hanging out with his mom. She's a great note maker, like lists for days, you know? And, and um, I'm like, I don't, need, I don't need a reminder. I know to make you lunch. Still in their room, and one of my other sons chimes in, well, did mom tell you how to make lunch? I'm like, come on. <laughs> and it's in those moments, you know, where what they think about me and what they feel about me sometimes are two totally different realities. This is how so many of us live as followers of Jesus, especially in the comfy confines of southeastern Bible Belt, American Christianity. This is who God is on our Insta feed. <laughs> this is who God is, this is who God is. is but I'm going, do, do you know him? Do you know this God who's abundant in love? Who's abundant in faithfulness? 
Because man, when you begin to know him, things begin to manifest in you. And there's all this stuff that we could talk about. I'll just give you three really quick things this morning. When, when you're anchored in the faithfulness of God, you become a person of peace in a world that's overrun with anxiety. Romans chapter eight, verse six says, the mind that is under the leadership of the Holy Spirit is a mind that is marked by life and peace. Colossians 3.15 says, when Jesus is the leader of your life, the leader of your heart, the fruit that he bears in you internally is peace. Or I love that moment in the gospels where, where Jesus is in the boat with his disciples in the middle of this hurricane. Maybe you remember the story. They're in the middle of this storm. The waves are just going, the wind is blowing, the disciples who none of them passed their swim test, they're scared they're about to drown, they're freaking out in the boat. Do you remember what Jesus was doing in the back? Jesus was sound asleep in the back of the boat like a boss. I mean, he is just out cold. Like, I, I don't know how tired you have to be to fall asleep in an open boat in the middle of a hurricane, but that's how tired Jesus was. And he's sound asleep, and do you remember what happens? The disciples, they come and they shake him awake. They shake him awake, and I don't know how he felt, I hate being, I hate when people shake me awake. It doesn't go very good. Jesus is better than me. You know, they, they shake him awake and then they begin to accuse his character. Do you remember how they accused him? Jesus, don't you care about us? We're about to drown. <laughs> There's this moment, they're just looking at their circumstances, all of the uncertainty of their life. They come to Jesus and I love what Jesus does. Jesus stands up and he calms the storm around them and then more significantly, he looks at them and he deals with the storm inside of them. He looks at the storm and he's like, hey, peace, quiet down, because I've got to deal with my disciples. John 14, verse 27, I love that moment. Jesus had just eaten the last supper with his disciples. He's walking to the garden of Gethsemane where he's gonna be brutally beaten, arrested. He's gonna be tried for crimes that he did not commit. He's gonna die on a cross for the sins of the world. And in John chapter 14, verse 27, maybe you remember this, Jesus is walking from the upper room where they just had this last supper to the garden of Gethsemane, a 45 minute walk under the full moon, the Passover moon, he's walking there. He turns and he looks at his disciples. He's just told them what's about to happen to him. He looks at him, and this is what he says. He says, the peace that I have is the peace I wanna give you. I don't give as the world gives. Jesus says, look at my eyes. He's like, guys, look at my eyes. They're about to kill me. They're about to arrest me. You're all gonna scatter. This peace that you see in me is what I wanna put in you. <laughs> How unbelievable is that? Jesus is not sitting on a beach with his brothers in the midst of serenity, away from email and away from work going, guys, the peace that I have is the peace that I wanna give, cheers. <laughs> he looks at him and he goes, in all of the uncertainty that you face, the manifest reality of your life when you're walking in me is peace. Why? Because we know he's the God of abundant love and faithfulness. Peace grows up in us. Another one is, is hope begins to just stir in us. See, in a world that is overrun with anxiety, we become people of peace. In a world that is overrun with despair, we become people of hope. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the whole world is just kind of holding its breath right now going, when's the next bad thing gonna happen? As followers of Jesus, though, we get to be dealers of hope. We get to look at the world. We get to look at uncertainty for what it actually is. And then we get to walk with the confidence that God is gonna do something great because we know the God who is abounding in love and abounding in faithfulness. 
I love Psalm 27. We studied this the first week of this series together. David's life is falling apart. Everything is going tough for him. But you get to the end of Psalm 27, and I love what David says. David says, yet I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He was a person that was marked by hope. See, as followers of Jesus, when we say things like, hey, we don't know the future, but we believe the best is yet to come, that's not just a cliche, that's not just Dave being an optimist, that's not just wishful thinking, it's because we don't know the future, but we know the God of the future, and the God of the future is working for the good of those that love him and are walking according to his purposes. And so when we're anchored in the truth of, man, he is abundant in love and faithfulness, peace, begins to stir up in us. Hope begins to stir up in us. We can keep going, I'll just give you one more. Courage begins to stir up in us. Courage stirs up in us. We have this ability to live as nobody else lives when we understand who holds the future. While the rest of the world is playing it safe and trying to hold on to what they can hold on to, we as followers of Jesus, we get to give our lives away. We get to live with unbelievable courage. I love the moment where Joshua he finds himself in the craziest succession journey any leader could ever be in. He gets the joy of following a guy like Moses. Maybe you remember Moses' journey. God used Moses in big ways to bring the people out of Egypt. And then Moses dies and God raises up Joshua into this role of leadership. These ungrateful people, now they're stepping into the promised land, but all of a sudden they're faced with all sorts of obstacles, all sorts of hardship. And I love it, Joshua faces it with courage not because he got an MBA from Vanderbilt or because he's a great strategist or because he knew what to do tomorrow. He faced it, why? Because he knew the God who was abounding in love and faithfulness. He knew that the God of yesterday was the God of tomorrow, which meant he's also the God of today, which means I have nothing to fear. And so, so Joshua stepped into the reality that God had called him to with courage, not because he was prepared for it, not because he knew what to do, but because he knew the one who did. And things begin to shift, guys. Things begin to change. When the faithfulness of God begins to trickle down from your mind all the way into your heart and bear fruit in the context of your life. What's this mean for our church? I don't know. And I couldn't be less scared. What's it mean? I, I don't know. But I couldn't be more hopeful. Because this church was never our idea. This is God's idea. And whatever Jesus begins, he completes. And are there gonna be some challenges? Absolutely. Will there be some moments of confusion? Absolutely. But I'm telling you what God has in store for those who love him and walk according to his purposes. It's gonna be great. And because of that, I go, hey, can we pray about it? Absolutely. Can we plan for it? We'll do our best. But more than anything, we're gonna stick close to the heart of God. So how do we become a people that are anchored in the faithfulness of God? I just wanna bring this all the way down to the ground real practically. I think it hinges on one word that shows up more than 200 times in the scriptures. It's the word remember. And all throughout the scriptures, the people of God are called to remember, to remember, to remember the faithfulness of God, to remember what God has done because unless you can see where God has been behind you, it's tough to believe that God will go before you. And there's this call to remember and you see this all through the scriptures. I think there's kind of three different levels of remembrance. We'll, we'll move through these quickly. Number one is we learn how to remember on a personal level. 
Like it's important that you, as a disciple of Jesus, make it a daily habit to remember the faithfulness of God. I'm just telling you, if you are too busy to remember where God has been at work in your life today, you will struggle to walk with him tomorrow. There's something about remembering personally. This is what David does in 1 Samuel 17 before he's getting ready to go face Goliath. He reflects back on what God had done when he was in the field tending sheep. He goes, oh yeah, I remember, Lord, how you delivered me from the bear and from the lion, so I think you'll give me favor with this giant. The strength that he had for the future came as he remembered as he reflected back on the past. See, I think this is so much of what the enemy does. He doesn't care, he doesn't care if you forget. He's just gonna make you so distracted that you don't have time to remember in the first place. One of my practices is every morning before I get out of bed, before my feet hit the floor, I try to just thank God for 10 things that I saw the day before, really small things. God, thanks for that meal, thanks for my family. Thanks that Sid's still here, <laughs> you know, like thank you for the kids that are sleeping in the other room. Thank you for the softness of this bed, the, the, the coolness of this house, whatever. God, thank you. We remember, James chapter one, verse 17 the brother of Jesus says, every good thing you have in your life is a gift from God, and when you don't stop to remember it, you become prone to the ways of culture just blowing you every which way. <laughs> so how do we anchor ourselves in faithfulness to become people of peace and hope and courage? We learn to remember personally. Secondly, we learn to remember communally. We get together in our house churches, in our discipleships, in our friend groups, and we just testify to what God has done. A couple of weeks ago, when Sydney and I started our house church back, we got in a room, we ate a meal together, and then we took an hour, and we said, let's just testify. Let's just testify to where you've seen God this summer. It's crazy what happens when we testify to the faithfulness of God, what it produces in our hearts. Because the faithfulness of God is never just confined to your small story. And so you begin to look into the lives of your friends. Oh, I've seen God's faithfulness there and there and there and there, and it produces peace and hope and courage. But it's never just personal. It's never just communal. Number three, it's historical. It's historical. Guys, if the faithfulness of God is confined to your small life and your small friend group, you're gonna be easily knocked over by the storms of life. I love Psalm 77, the writer of the Psalm. It's so beautiful. He's just recounting the hardship of his life. Then he begins to pray personally. He begins to remember personally. But you get to the end of Psalm 77 and he begins to lean in historically to what God had done. And he begins to remember the way that God had brought them out of Egypt. He wasn't there for that. He begins to remember the way that God had delivered them through the Red Sea. He wasn't there for that. But he understood that he was a part of a much bigger story that God had been writing. And this is the reason we study the scriptures together, communally, personally. We go, God, we're in a bigger story. And when we see the faithfulness of Jesus to all of humanity, when we see it in our community, when we understand it personally, when we're rooted in that, it produces peace and hope and courage. And in the midst of all of it, we say, we don't know tomorrow, but we know the God of tomorrow. And I didn't see this coming, but he wasn't caught off guard. And so we're gonna move into the future. God, I'm so excited. I'm not just saying that. I hope you can feel my heart. I'm so excited about what God's up to in this moment. And I wanna invite you to anchor your life in the faithfulness of God and with peace and with hope and courage for us to just ask God, where are you taking us? What are you doing? It? What are you doing in the midst of this? Lord, help us be all in with you. And so here's what we're gonna do this morning. If you haven't done this yet, you can do this after I pray, but I wanna invite you to get the bread and the cup. Here in just a second, I'm gonna pray for us, and you can circle your chairs up. Whoever you came with, just circle your chairs up. Don't stay in rows. 
circle up, get together. And I want you to take some time. We're gonna give you nine or 10 minutes right here to just share out loud the faithfulness of God. Where have you seen the faithfulness of God? And then after you've shared, break the bread, take the cup, pray together, because every week as we take the communion together, we are anchoring ourselves in the way that God has been faithful to you personally as he's dealt with your sins on the cross, as we wrestle with how God has been faithful to us communally with what he did on the cross, and as we wrestle with what God has done historically through what he did on the cross. And so I wanna encourage you, I'm gonna pray for us, get in groups, share, take communion together. We're gonna give you eight or nine, 10 minutes, somewhere in there to do that. And then we're gonna end with a couple of songs of worship. If you wanna receive prayer, if you wanna give your life to Jesus, if you have needs, if there's something that you're facing that you need ministry for, there's some men and women that'll be at the respond banner. We'd love to pray for you this morning. And so don't leave without that opportunity. So Father, I love you. Thank you for these people. Thank you for these brothers and sisters. Thank you for the gift of your word and the gift of your spirit that is here among us this morning. And Father, whether it's on a personal level or on a communal level, would you just remind us that you are a God who is abundantly faithful and loving no matter what we see or feel or hear in the world around us? God, wherever there's anxiety in the room, would you bring peace? Wherever there is despair in the, in the room, Lord, would you bring hope? Wherever there is fear in the room, Lord, would you bring courage? But God, would you do it as we fix our eyes on you? It's in the name of Jesus we pray and give thanks, amen.